Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello. Oh, we actually yep. doing the script. Go, go. You ready? <laughs> yeah. I can't. <laughs> Hello. And <laughs> shut up. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> old woman. We're going. Okay. I'm really quiet now. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm a very croaky Kate Watson Smythe. I do apologise for that. (laughs) But before we begin, a word about our new sponsors, Corston Architectural Detail, makers of a beautiful collection of coordinating sockets and switches, handles and hinges and lighting for both indoors and outdoors. I mean, I think it's one of the most overlooked elements when it comes to interior design. It's those touch points. You know, I have to admit, we all focus on colour and furniture, but, you know, often ignore those vital architectural details like light switches and sockets and I think these can really make a difference to a scheme and I have to admit I can get a bit nerdy around this. Oh I love it I mean not to mention that that really satisfying clunk of one of those toggle light switches I mean I swear when my kids were younger they turned the lights off more because they like touching the switches. (laughs) I know I've got those toggle switches and have to say they're very addictive. (laughs) Now Corsten are known for their three main finishes of bronze, antique brass and poly nickel so you can coordinate all the architectural details across the whole house which I think is a really nice thing to do but that's not all they do. No indeed they have introduced a clear perspex cover for their switches and sockets this comes with a template that you can either paint to match the wall behind it so you just kind of see the actual switch or the plug holes or you can use that template to cut out a piece of wallpaper to exactly match what you've got going on on the rest of the wall. Now I think this is absolutely thrilling because I'm about to have a bit of a redecoration at the house. There's a lot of wallpaper about to be installed and I think this is a brilliant way to create a more seamless and integrated look. You know, especially if your wallpaper is quite specific. I mean, like, for example, if you've got a beautiful flower or maybe like a bird's head you don't want it cut off, you can keep the whole design in its entirety. It's a really lovely design detail. It's one of those tiny details that really makes a huge difference. If you've got wallpaper, then a white plastic switch can really spoil the overall effect. And if you have a pale or delicate pattern, you might not want a bold metallic finish on your light switches. So this is the perfect solution. Exactly that. And I think it makes your scheme look even more thought out and considered. And I'm here for that. 
it's all about the little details, isn't it, Kate? Absolutely. If you want more details on the full Corsten range, then check them out at corsten.com. That's C-O-R-S-T-O-N.com. Now, what have we got coming up in the show today? Well, before we get into that, what's with the croaky voice, Kate? I think everybody's hearing... A bit of a smoky, croaky voice. If only it was that exciting, <laughs> trying to turn myself into Mariella Froster up here. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had a bit of a late night, I'm afraid. Doesn't happen often. So we were both out last night. Yeah. I left the party. We'll get into what party it was. So we were in London, weren't we? And I had to dash and get the train. You obviously stayed much later than me. We were at a lovely event. It was the Heels Dinner for Designers that is a yearly must-have event for people in the interior design industry. It brings together the design community who design and sell their products through heels and all the kind of media darling podcasters. That's us in it. Yeah. Uh, there was Cat Burrows from the Times. There's all the press and paper and magazines. And I can't do a lot of loud talking late at night anymore. And my Clearly. Voice and then I got home. I got home at, you know, for me, really quite late. I mean, I think it was half past 11. Um, and then, <gasps> well, then I fell into conversation with the mad husband and we were up. I mean, it's so long since we've done this. We were up chatting till 1.30 in the morning. I mean, it's ridiculous. And as a result now, I can't speak. I had to get up early for the builders and you know so apologies for the croakiness <laughs> too much gassing too much gassing. too much gassing the night before before a podcast recording that's a major fail yeah sorry about that well I'm quite jealous that you you stayed up late partying while I fell asleep on the train back to Haywards Heath oh it's not so glamorous it has to be <laughs> but exciting news about Hills for anybody who lives in the UK and has had an opportunity to visit Hills it's one of my favorite stores I have to say I have a deep love of heels it's got such an incredible design heritage hasn't it and their flagship store on Tottenham Court Road I mean what we were sort of reflecting on isn't it lovely it's still there Tottenham Court Road in London was always it's a big street isn't it for furniture stores yeah. and we've seen a lot of people come and go haven't we over the last couple of decades um and I suppose one of the biggest for me, departures from Tottenham Court Road was Habitat leaving in 2021, we think. Habitat left their flagship store on Tottenham Court Road. And the exciting news is, is Heels is not only taking it over, but what we found out, reclaiming it, because it was all originally, it was Heels back in the day, that whole massive floor plan. And what was so hilarious was there is acres and acres of empty floor space for which we had our dinner in. They even had a little DJ. Did you have a little dance, Kate? There was a little DJ there. I noticed there was a I did not have a little dance. I had a little stand. (laughs) You had a little stand. (laughs) Did you have a foot shuffle? Um, But they made this, I mean, it was like this incredible kind of like potential warehouse party. But the fact is that they actually open on the 14th of April, which time of publication of this podcast is tomorrow. Oh, we're obviously recording a little bit in advance, but we're all slightly on the edge of our seats to see if they're going to make it. But if you are in London and you're around the Tottenham Court Road area, I think it's well worth a visit. So we've got some very exciting news. This is uh, quite an announcement. We have launched a new membership service 
for the devoted lovers of this podcast. Yes, we couldn't do this podcast without you, our loving listeners, and we have developed a wonderful tribe of fellow interior design fanatics and renovators who tune in every week to hear our dulcet (laughs) tones. Now, we are more committed than ever to keep this podcast going, bringing together our love of interiors and giving you the industry insights, not to mention the expert interviews that all go together to help you create a home you love. So with this in mind, there is a new way to support the podcast and it comes with benefits. When you subscribe to the Great Indoors Insiders, you get to enjoy ad-free listening, exclusive bonus content and very exciting this, first dibs on tickets to upcoming live events. And to kick off, we have a trip abroad organised. That's right, we are taking the great indoors on tour with a holiday planned for Italy this October, a design trip to the design mecca that is Milan and then on to Venice. And by becoming a member to the Great Indoors Insiders, you will get first chance to grab your place on this inspirational trip. Woohoo! Get ready to pack your bags. Anyway, this just leaves me to thank you all for being part of our flourishing design community. And our hope is that by becoming a member, you will not only be supporting Kate and I on producing this weekly podcast but you will also enjoy all the benefits of becoming a part of our insiders club we've put the link in the show notes or you can visit www.thegreatindoorspodcast.com for further details Now, it's not news that we're still in the middle of this terrible cost of living crisis and it felt things had reached peak 1950s post-war rationing a few weeks ago when news reports said there was a shortage of tomatoes, lettuce and cucumber. So we got thinking, cue sex in the city style voiceover, could it be time to start thinking about growing your own. So we waited until the weather improved a bit and it was planting time and we are thrilled today to be chatting to Rekka Mystery. Rekka is a presenter, author, food writer and crucially owner, renter slash gardener, whatever the term is, of an allotment in North London that is bursting with the best seasonal produce all year round. Yes, her book, Wrecker's Kitchen Garden, Homegrown Wisdom from the Gardener's Allotment, is perfect for all budding veg growers out there. So, Wrecker, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) And I must admit, I'm going to admit right now that I've got a personal interest in this. Right. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is where it's really nice to have a podcast because you can start reeling in people that you actually really want to talk to um, personally. So, mm-hmm. Rekka, I live in East Sussex and we have a lovely garden. My mum lives next door and my mum has a very healthy uh, allotment garden. She's got a greenhouse. She's got four raised beds and she's you know, really busy growing all her veg and everything. You know, we really enjoy eating her produce all year round. Some of it more successful than others. We can get onto that. Her wobbly, She has a nightmare with her crooked carrots. But um, as a complete newbie beginner, and I think there's lots of other people like me out there who are thinking of getting into growing your own veg. I just would love to start with, is it is it easy? Where do you start? Yeah, where do you start? Exactly. What I tend to say is, Start with what you like to eat, back to basics. So things like your potatoes, your carrots, your spinach, your runner beans, things, very, very simple vegetable. Go back to those. 
And that's where you start. You start with something you know you've eaten all the time. And, and so you know when you try and grow that, you know when to harvest. Because sometimes if you try and grow a really complicated vegetables that you've just picked up a seed pack and trying to figure out when do I need to harvest you, you might just miss the boat. That's something that, that I always say about, say, aubergines. People don't know when to harvest. When, when is the right time? You can see the fruit. When should I harvest that? Is when the skin is still shiny and not stop turning dull. That is the perfect time to harvest. So, see, these are the little things as you become a gardener. But first thing first, your very simple vegetables is what I would say grow. So it's your potatoes, your tomatoes and beans, things like that. Something that is so simple that you see all the time in supermarkets. So you know when to harvest things. But that's interesting. Coming back to Sophie's crooked carrots. I mean, I think carrots is often a thing. When my children were younger, I remember we tried to grow carrots. Mm -hmm. Well, there were all sorts of issues. I mean, we've got to have special soil, haven't we? That's not the answer to carrots. Carrots, we've got so many varieties out there. You don't have to have the longest of carrots. You can get the really minute little ones that you can grow in pots you just got to go for the button size carrot oh I'm going to tell my mother this is going to be a breakthrough because every every year she gets really upset with funny crooked carrots oh no but I think because in our heads we look at supermarkets supermarkets provide you with the nicest longest vegetables and you know really appetizing but you don't want that carrots is not something you have to always buy the long varieties. You can go for the really short, stout varieties. And the one I always say, if your soil is is sa- not sandy, but if it's clay and stony, go for one called Paris Market 5 Atlas. So that there's Paris Paris Market is, is a variety. And then you've got different varieties within, within that variety. So go for those. And, and when you search that, it's literally a small carrot. But it's stout enough that you can peel it and eat it. So it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Does that mean also if it's short? Because I'm thinking, you know, years ago we lived in a flat with a balcony. And, you know, you people always say you can be a balcony gardener and grow things in pots. But obviously carrots are tricky because you need a very tall pot. So I'm guessing that perhaps a short fat carrot works well for people who have only a window box or a pot or a small area. Yeah, it's perfect for that scenario. It's perfect for small gardens and small space gardening. I think the attitude needs to change. I think we've we've always wanted that to change as a gardener. When we when we produce vegetables, why are we just so honed in on straight and perfect? Why? I think that 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 goes back to when we do all these um shows and we we see perfect vegetables and so that gives that idea that everything should be perfect. It's not because at the end of the day you're just going to peel it cook it and once it gets in your stomach so I mean you need you need to think of that side of it it's a practicality of a vegetable not 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 the perfect side of it and I've never liked that idea of perfect growing it's it's what what my soil can give me and I'll be happy with it and I'll work with it you have to be patient a little bit to create what you can and it'll be tasty. No matter what you think, it'll be tasty. So anything is possible. Everything is edible. Another thing that happens with growing your own, as um, someone who benefits from my mum's allotment, is you get gluts of things, don't you? So you mentioned beans. My mother's runner beans are 
absolutely prolific. We eat nothing but beans all summer long, which is great because we love the beans. And then there's the beetroots. They come thick and fast at one point. What can you advise people to do when they are growing their own, but then they have these harvests of one particular vegetable that comes all at once? How do you deal with that? And and also it's, you know, if you get a massive amount of potatoes, there's only so many potatoes you know, that one family of four can eat. But potatoes store well. If you if you know how to store potatoes, they store... I mean, I'm still using mine from September. They're, up, they're still going. So when you harvest potatoes, don't wash them. When you Once you've dug them out, don't wash them. Don't put liquid over your, your harvest because that is asking for pest and, and um, viral diseases to get in. So keep them as is. Just rub the soil off. Dry them out in the sun. And put them in hessian bags and into the cool section of your shed. That that's that's how you store them. Because think of them being in the ground. They need to be cold. They need to be in the dark. And that's what you're providing them. And that's how they'll stay. And it's that simple. Because I remember we lived for a long time when I was growing up in my grandmother's house. And she had a vegetable patch and she also had a small orchard with apple trees. Mm-hmm. And she used to preserve her apples. I can still remember it. She had a garage, a double garage, which had half had her car in it. And the other half had her garden tools. And hanging from the ceiling were her old tights with apples slotted into the tights and twisted round. And it was, I mean, it was like bobbing for apples. It was like Halloween in there all the time. But I mean, you know, I don't know. Is that is that just for apple storage? Does one need to keep one's old tights? So... That is a way of keeping the apples aerated. So that's what we do with onions and garlic. That's why they're hung the way they are, because you've got airflow going all around. That That's the reason. But tights is a great <laughs> idea for apples. I've never thought yeah. of that one. So, thank you. Oh, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> but things like, well, I mean, things like beetroot. Sometimes we tend to grow, this is spring, so now we're going to go out there and go rows and rows and rows of beetroot. Stop. Just do one row, let that grow. And as soon as that sort of sprouts, then two weeks later, then sow the next one. So you've got a succession of crop, not here you go. I've got everything in my hand. So that this is how I grow. I only grow like a small row of beetroot. And then as soon as that comes through, that that will take about three weeks for it to germinate and get going. As soon as that happens is when I'll do the next row. So I've got three weeks succession of everything. Oh, that's super clever. Yes, that's how a grower would do things is in succession yeah and then towards the end if I've got a really big glut I will pickle my beetroots it is the best thing is having your Mm. own pickle I I can't you know I don't buy any pickles anymore there is no there's no gherkins from outdoors there's no there's no pickled uh, runner beans. No, I've never tried heard of this. Pickling, pickling your runner beans. Bean. Oh my <laughs> goodness. That comes from World War Two when when we had to do this kind of preserving. And that is such a good and it's very simple. You just blanch your runner beans once they're sliced, blanch them and put them in water, in cold water so that they still stay crispy. Get your vinegar and if you want to make it spicy, sweet, it's all up to you. Add your additives in there, whatever whatever you wish, and then just put your uh, runner beans into the jar, put your vinegar in it, close it, and you're done. So then how do you eat them? You eat them as a cold pickle with a salad or something? Yeah. I mean, I've even added them in, a, in my stir fries because if I want something, I will use it. I'll just wash off the, the vinegar and then I'll add it in right at the end because they, they're cooked anyway. 
that they've been pickled that they're ready to use so just add them in so it's it's not just about finding just one way to use it there's so many ways to use these things keeping them going for longer i suppose freezing is another option freezing i do freeze runner beans i blanch them and then i'll cool them down pat them dry and in they go into the freezer so i have something for the winter yeah so you can keep on enjoying the fruits of your labor all year round yeah So, I mean, I feel we're slightly bombarding listeners with information, she says in her croaky voice. But we've established now that we can grow short, fat carrots so we don't need to worry about the soil. We can keep potatoes for six months in an unwashed potatoes in a hessian sack in the dark. We can pickle some of the other vegetables and we're growing in stages. I mean, even I might get inspired. But the thing... <laughs> I like the word the mind. thing that worries me, I have grown tomatoes before, but I, I've got to say, and, and maybe this is just me, I'm slightly scared of the commitment or the amount of work because my mother grows tomatoes and there's a whole period of time where she's got to go out there every day and water them. She's got to pinch the top out. She's got to do a bit of singing. There's a whole <laughs> thing. This is a This is a big commitment. But on the other hand, I suppose it's free food. So you got to put the work in, yeah? Right. So what your mum does, she is a great gardener. It, it sounds like she, she is on it. But as a newbie, I, I would recommend not to grow more than three things to start with. So just grow three favourite vegetables. That way you can you are committed to just a small section of your garden, not, not the whole full on, you know, go for it. Because that way you will know how much time you have for the next year that, okay, I'll do maybe four plants of this one and I'll do six plants of that. And even on an allotment, when somebody new comes on, we always suggest just do a quarter of your bed, work that and then work the next quarter. So don't don't try and do the whole thing in one go like because you think everyone else has got perfect, beautiful plots. It's taken me 12 years to be where I am today. You know, I started in a small section and I built it up that's such good advice because I would be that person was like right I'm going for the Chelsea gardening gold award allotment mission (laughs) and I'm getting my and and then I'm going to have my canes and I'm going to have all the little accoutrements and make it all look very beautiful because you do you do have that vision you go to these these shows and and you are inspired and you want to get going but where do you start? But always start small is what I always say. And always go for one vegetable, one flower, one herb. That way you get to know what you're doing, how you're doing things. And you're you're incorporating colour within because I, I mean, as much as I like the old fashioned way of rows and rows and rows of vegetables, I want colour. I want some, some structure in my greens. You know, I want some it has to look good as much as it has to taste good. Oh, so tell us what what's colour? What what can you introduce to make your allotment or veg patch look beautiful? Flowers that help your vegetables. So controlling pests without using pesticide. So that is what companion planting is. So plants like say your lavenders, your rosemaries, your marigolds, things like that will help because they're very pungent smells uh, aromas to these plants and that helps move some pests away so aphids hate the smell of marigolds and that's why you plant them with your tomatoes i love that i love a marigold as well and nasturtiums are a really good thing to grow with your beans because nasturtiums attract the black bean fly 
and they leave your beans alone. <gasps> this is genius. You'll just turn the, the leaf off a, of an nasturtium and you'll see all the black fly there and your beans are fine. So you don't panic that you see them there because they're no. going to stay there. So it's not like, oh, because my reaction would be, oh my God, they're all over the nasturtiums. They're just going to shimmy onto the tomatoes, but they're not. No, they won't. They, they will not go onto your beans. They will, they will stay where they are and you leave them where they are because they are just sheltering from the sun under those leaves. So leave them and I'm not going to eat those leaves. What I want is the flower, the flower and the seed pod because the seed pod will make me my poor man's capers. Hold on a minute. Back up, back up. Poor man's capers. <laughs> I, can I just say to listeners, we're just going to have a little 10 second pause here while you get a pen and paper because this is all coming at you. Um, so it's so much information. So poor man's capers, talk to me. They are the, the seed pods of nasturtiums before they go harder or before they fall onto the ground. Don't pick the ones that are on the ground. Pick the ones that are still hanging onto the plant. Pick those and you make a pickle like you would make gherkins it's literally as simple as that but the the sharpness the spiciness sort of mellows down a little bit but still gives you that caper taste so it's that's why it's called poor man's capers so they're not only looking beautiful but you keeping your bugs off your beans you can also put the my mum loves to put the flowers in a salad because they're also edible aren't they yes and the towards the end of the season you make your pickles then you make your poor man's capers at the end wow fabulous well if you want the recipe it's on my it's on my blog site so it's there so you don't need to get your pen and paper out just now yes you've got a blog oh go on tell us about your blog what's the address it is com. and the book obviously which we mentioned at the top of the show which i will be ordering yeah, which is the other way around which is Recker's kitchen garden amazing Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And the other thing, though, is that I think I I have done before and feels less scary in terms of growing and, and is also a beautiful addition to a, to a garden, to a balcony, to a window box, is a herb garden. So you mentioned there in passing rosemary. I mean, lavender, we don't necessarily... Well, I was around in the 80s when it was all about lavender ice cream, but most of the time we're not eating lavender. It's for the scent. But a herb garden's quite an easy way in, isn't it? It is, because that... that they don't need as much attention. Most of our herbs are Mediterranean herbs. Mediterranean herbs love dry conditions. So though they need some water, they don't need constant watering. You don't need to do it every day. And you, you, you can forget about them. Some of the woody herbs like your thyme and your rosemaries, you can forget to water them. I actually don't water them. They're in the ground and they're fine where they are. And even in that hot spell that we had last year, they were fine. They were actually happier than they ever have been because they need that heat and less water is what they need. So, so I think herbs is a good way of introducing yourself to a, a small garden in your back garden. Yeah, we've got um, we've got guinea pigs and they are the fattest 
happiest guinea pigs in the summer because they just munch on herbs because they just keep coming don't they herbs i mean that's right the more you cut the better it is for the plant we literally can't eat the amount of parsley that my mum grows so the guinea pigs just get really fat on parsley and sage Mm -hmm. one thing i wanted to touch on which i think is another benefit of gardening is this element of well-being and this is another reason I think why I want to get into it I mean yes it's deeply satisfying growing your own veg it's saving on the shop but there's a feeling for me about getting your hands in the earth and I mean Kate it's interesting you saying like you know the bother and the frustration of having to remember to water your tomato plants and blah 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 I mean I am that person I'm like you intolerant and impatient what are you saying (laughs) I know you so well but that's the challenge isn't it with gardening is it forces you to slow down it forces you to honor the seasons to take your time it forces you to become a plant parent because you you're nurturing those things it's like nurturing a child you are nurturing it you are responsible for that thing not to die and that that slowly it slowly gets embedded few vegetables at a time it gets embedded in you that I have to care for oh. them. You really become a plant parent when it be- when you start growing from seed and you start seeing that thing grow all the way up and then you're in in the ground right. I'll let you be, you know, you're now at university, you go and do your thing kind of kind of a moment, but you're still keeping an eye on that plant. It's really interesting that element of well-being because I think it's important for all of us and perhaps even more important for city dwellers who don't see as much green as Sophie might do living in Sussex. You know, she opens her doors, she's got green fields all around her, you know, I am I am in the urban jungle. Um and I I think it's really important that we take the time. And I like, I very much like the fantasy of it. You know, I've got, I'm going to put on my floppy hat. I'm going to get a lovely trug basket. (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm not going to put a flowery dress on. There are limits. But, you know, I am going to, my idea, I float around and I might deadhead a few roses and sniff a little bit of lavender. And, you know, that's all fine for about a week. And then, and then I forget. But maybe, as you say, because you literally, to pardon a pun, grow into it, Maybe we need to make the effort to force ourselves, a bit like exercise. Perhaps if we force ourselves to do a little bit of gardening, it will become a habit. And then as well as food and everything else, we get the the well-being benefits. Yes, because you're just slowing yourself down without having that meditation. Because sometimes some people will find it hard to meditate. But by just weeding, even for half an hour, weeding is a form of meditation because you you are concentrating on that small piece of land or soil or pot and saying, right, you're coming out, you're coming out, you're and you're, you're doing it slowly and you're actually thinking about what you're doing. So your your mind has moved away from any stress that you've been feeling and only concentrating on that small section. And when your hands touch soil, there is there is some something that happens. Well, for me anyway, is you really feel joy and when it's even warmer in the summer you think oh my goodness no wonder the plants are loving it because you can actually feel the warmth within the soil and it it warms me it really does warm mm. me up and you can wear a floppy hat and have a trug while you're doing it if you like if that makes you happy too no I've, I've got really dirty trousers you know like holes everywhere <laughs> I couldn't get, my plants don't care what I look like I, I've got to start with the outfit you know just... okay fine <laughs> There's so much you know, Rekha, and I'm really interested. Did you always want to be a gardener? I believe you started off working in a bathroom showroom. I mean, did gardening come to you a bit later on? I've always had gardening in the back of my head. So when, when my husband and I started our business, 
it was always there. It, I've always had it. And but with children, and when you become a, a taxi runner for for them, you know your life is like okay, it's for them first. But gardening was always there. And when I I had always said that once they get a little bit older and they're going to school themselves, going to high school themselves, I want to get an allotment. And that was like okay, mother, you're only forty something. You really want to get that? That's that's for. That's for what happens when you retire. Allotments were for <laughs> retiring, but that, this was this was the concept back back. To, I'm, I'm talking about 25 years ago. That was the the concept of these things, and I said, yeah, I want to get one. And they go, fine, you know, if you want one. So I had to put myself down on a waiting list. Now that only happened, and when I thought, okay, it'll take me five years before I get a plot because that's how long it takes. I got it within two months. And I thought, wow, this is this is moving a bit too fast for me now. <laughs> so <laughs> take it easy. And so I got just half a plot just to start. I just took on half a plot rather than a full. And once I got onto that plot, that that was it. But my mum was always a good gardener, like you say. Our mums and grandmothers are are great at these things. So I've always had the passion, but never got round to really saying I want to do this. And then I did big allotment challenge. And I did that for fun. I I never thought I would get in. I just entered that competition thinking they they will look at my my handwritten scribble, and they did. And they said they invited me to participate. And I thought, why do I do this to myself? Why do I put myself through all these things? And it always comes true. Why? And so I did that. And it was on the show I realized I want to do horticulture. It was at that point when I spoke to the the gardener who was there, who was looking after ours when we weren't around. And she said, "If you want to do it, do an RHS course, and you can go into horticulture and work with the big gardens that you wish to work with." And that stayed in my head until we sold our business, and I thought, "Not ready to do just nothing and be a, a you know, a lady of leisure. I still want to do my own thing." And I did horticulture, and I went back to college, did that, and whilst I was doing that, I was blogging at the same time, and this is where. Garden writing came about, and I started writing for magazines. They've invited me to write for them, and if if it inspires somebody else, that's even better. Oh, you've inspired me, I, I definitely, and that that's quite a task. I think you talk with such passion, and you make it sound achievable. And I think that's the magic, isn't it? Accessible and achievable, and breaking it down for people. Yes, just try and see where how far you can take yourself. And just just do it is what I say. Do you feel being a gardener makes you more resilient? I mean, you're talking about a real resilience there of a, of a get up and go and just do it attitude. And I'm just wondering, with gardening, there must be lots of failures <laughs> along the way. Wonky carrots being just one of them. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've had I've had a lot of failures, but you have to be realistic in what you're doing. Forget, forget what anyone else thinks. What you're doing. I really didn't care how I was seen on my allotment because I would do unusual vegetables as well, and people would go, "Really, Rekha? Really? You know, will that work?" But that was what I wanted to do, and and I didn't care as such what others thought of what I was doing. But they embraced it. Some of them even came to me saying, "Right, now I've grown what you've grown. How do I cook it?" And that was like a tick box. Yes, now this is working because we are. 
interacting through vegetables. Oh, such a great sentence. You bring me to where I was coming to, actually, because, well, firstly, it seems that gardening is actually a metaphor for life. But, you know, we'll we'll leave that to one side. Um, <laughs> the cooking element, because I think some people who are cooks come to growing because they cook and they want to have amazing ingredients. It seems to me like you came to it because you wanted to do the the nurturing and the growing and the cultivating. So have you learnt to cook more alongside or were you always a great cook? That's always also been in me. But when I go out to eat and I read the menu and they go say the word celeriac, if I hadn't, this is going back, say, 20 years ago, celeriac, what the hell is celeriac? <laughs> Yeah. And and this is this is how I would and I, I would eat to thinking okay it tastes a bit like celery is that why it's called celeriac and then I go back and I sort of find out about it read books and then you know go online and and this is how this is how my vision comes about for a vegetable and what to do with a vegetable and I'll say okay I need to grow this and it always is I need to grow this no matter what I eat I will always say I need to grow that and so there is. The, the eating element always comes in as to what would I do with it. So if I plan to grow it, what am I going to make with it? So I always think about the last bit before I think about the middle bit. How will I use it? Because I don't want to just grow it and make it look pretty in the garden. I want to eat it. Rekha, it's just been such a delight. And you've for sure informed and indeed inspired me. I think beyond beyond my initial expectations. It's been wonderful. Well, I do hope I get to hear that. Yes, I've got a garden now. And yes, I've got, you know, three of this and three of that. It'd be nice to hear that. That's the tip because <laughs> I've I've hardly got a garden. And what there is of it is mostly builder's junkyard. Um, you know, I've got dreams of a greenhouse. So, you know, I'm we're inspired. You'll have to, you know, maybe we'll come to you and you can show us how to cook it. That'll be the next follow up. That'd be, that'd be nice. <laughs> I'll bring my pickled beans. I can bring, yes, I can bring, yeah. a, oh, bring a dish. Yeah, I, th- I think so. <laughs> I think that there, there needs to be a date, you know, a dinner date now. Yeah, I'm in. Rekha, thank you so much for your generosity, not in your time, but all your knowledge and sharing your passion with us too. Can we just remind everybody of your blog one last time to go and get all those brilliant tips? The blog is wreckagardenkitchen.com and the book is Wrecker's Kitchen Garden by DK. Ah, amazing. Wrecker, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And all that remains for us to thank our lovely sponsors, Corsten.com. And thank you to our producer, Sarah Cadden of Feast Collective. Make sure you're following us. I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. And Wrecker, what's your Instagram? Usual, Wrecker Garden Kitchen. Fabulous. Thank you so much and we'll see you in the great indoors or maybe a bit outdoors now. (laughs) 